You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Please join me in prayer. Lord, help us to hear your word and obey it, that we may become instruments of your saving love. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. So this is now the fourth sermon in a series of sermons we've entitled 101, Simple Steps in the Christian Life. And today's theme is how the Word of God renews our minds. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just one verse earlier, John points out that as Jesus was speaking, many believed in him. Dale Bruner notes that Jesus now addresses those who had come to believe in him over the course of his earlier ministry, but who are now wavering. The verse doesn't say who believed in him, but instead uses the pluperfect form, indicating an action that is complete and existed sometime in the past, who had believed in him. This passage follows the section where Jesus saves the woman caught in adultery by challenging her accusers. Let anyone among you who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus then goes on to state, I am the light of the world. It's appropriate then that Jesus would later say, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because the Jewish idea of truth meant following the light on the path. Uh, Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus is issuing both a remarkable challenge and a thrilling promise to his listeners. First, the challenge. Jesus is saying, if you continue in my word, the Greek text literally says, if you abide in my word. Jesus is saying that the test of true disciples is whether they make a home in his word. Uh, we do this by saturating our lives with scripture through regular reading and study and memorization. After this challenge, Jesus gives a twofold promise. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Earl Palmer notes, truth here is meant primarily in the Hebrew sense of walking in the way of righteousness rather than in the more intellectual Greek sense of know the meaning of. Truth is found as we abide in the word of Christ. It's this relationship that makes us disciples. And within that obedience, we discover both the truth and its gift to us, freedom. Freedom is inseparable from truth. There cannot be freedom without righteousness. Now, I was raised to believe that knowing and speaking the truth is one of the most important things that we as humans can ever do. I mean, our legal system is based on witnesses stating the truth 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But in this postmodern age of fake news and extreme relativism, does the idea of objective truth matter anymore? Uh, when UPC mission partner Francis Amundi uh, was visiting Seattle last month and we were talking about Jesus' words, he said that many today are asking the question, do new things change the truth we have known? You know, this uh, past January, Oprah Winfrey gave an acceptance speech at the Golden Globe Awards. And she employed a phrase that other celebrities are using more and more often. Your truth versus the truth. Are we as a society at a point where, as uh, Jack Nicholson tells Tom Cruise in the movie A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth? But this reaction to truth is actually nothing new. The Greek word for truth, uh, aletheia, occurs 110 times in the New Testament and 20 times just in John's gospel. In John chapter 18, Pontius Pilate responds when Jesus says that he's come into the world to bear witness to the truth. What is truth? In the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, Pilate sings, but what is truth? Is truth a changing law? We both have truths. Are mine the same as yours? In the song, Pilate is asking if there is such a thing as objective truth. Now, that's a bit different than a quote from the PBS series, The Vietnam War, that says, there is no single truth in war. And I think that's accurate. Things can look different from different points of view. But Pilate's not singing about different points of view. He's questioning the whole idea of the truth. However, on Palm Sunday, Jesus pointed out that there is such a thing as objective truth. When the authorities asked Jesus to silence the crowds, Jesus responded, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. In other words, Jesus is Lord whether or not people proclaim it out loud. And then, in, furthermore, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And not only is there objective truth, but the truth that Jesus talks about has power. It has the power to set us free. We will know the truth. And because that truth has the power to renew our hearts and our minds, it will set us free. Now, God's word has guided his people down through the ages, but John tells us that Jesus coming among us was a great gift because now, in addition to the written word of God, we have the living word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Both the written and the living word of God is transformative. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We see an example of what this can look like in the passage that was read for us earlier. Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman 
at the well. Do you know that Jesus' longest recorded conversation with anyone is the one he has with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In the previous chapter, Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, a male member of the Jewish religious establishment. In today's passage, he speaks with a female member of an enemy people. This incident is remarkable for its simplicity. Notice, Jesus doesn't heal her of any disease. He doesn't raise her child from the dead. He doesn't even change any of the well water into wine. He simply talks with her. The words he speaks are so radically different than other words that she has heard. His words are so filled with grace and truth that she will never be the same again. This woman is an outcast among her own people. We know this because she comes to the well alone at noon, which is the hottest part of the day. She's surprised to see Jesus there, and even more surprised when Jesus asks her for a drink. And so they engage in an unusual conversation. Notice the words Jesus uses to heal, forgive, and restore this woman at the well. With just words, Jesus breaks down the walls between Jews and Samaritans, between male and female. In John chapter 3, Jesus um, takes Nicodemus the Pharisee seriously and engages in theological dialogue with him. Amazingly, Jesus treats this Samaritan woman with the same respect. Why is it that you, a Jew, ask for water from a Samaritan woman, she asks. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus says, you could have asked, and he would have given you living water. Who do you think you are? You haven't even got a bucket. Even Jacob had to have a bucket. Are you greater than Jacob? Hearing her need, Jesus makes an offer. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but those who drink of the water I give will never be thirsty. It's then that the woman says the word that gives her new life. Give me this water that I may never be thirsty, she pleads. All right, says Jesus, go call your husband. I have no husband. That's right. You have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. You told the truth when you said you have no husband. At this moment in the conversation, Fred Craddock points out, the woman is defensive, and I can understand it. I can appreciate her defensiveness because she has had five husbands, and she's living with a man now to whom she is not married. She has had it up to here with men. (laughs) Now, many commentators and interpreters have raised their eyebrows about this woman at this point, as if she were a first-century Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Now, for you younger people out there, (laughs) Elizabeth Taylor was this very glamorous movie star from the 1950s and 60s, 
who, as you've probably guessed, was known as much for her many marriages and divorces as she was for her roles in movies. She was married eight times to seven men. She married Richard Burton twice. So if you're keeping score, that's one bride, seven husbands, eight weddings. I'll never forget what Tom Long said one year at a graduation ceremony at Princeton Theological Seminary in response to those who thought that this woman was the Elizabeth Taylor of ancient Samaria, trading in husbands like sports cars. Women in the first century didn't have that kind of social prerogative. She has not devoured husband after husband. She has been devoured by a social system that, for whatever reason, has passed her from man to man to man until the man she's with now won't even give her the dignity of marriage. Jesus is not so much naming, she's not, he's not so much exposing her sin. Jesus is naming her wound. As Fred Craddock points out, she didn't choose to take five husbands and another man. She was chosen. She's been passed around like a piece of meat. When Jesus names the issue in her life, the woman tries to go back to talking theology again. I see that you're a prophet, she says. Now let's see. You prophets like to talk theology. Isn't it interesting that, that you Jews like to worship in Jerusalem and we Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim? Isn't that a fascinating theological difference? <laughs> Woman, I tell you, Jesus says, the hour is coming and now is when the mountain, the temple, it won't make any difference. What will make a difference is you, your worship in spirit and in truth. Me? Make a difference? To God? Yeah, sure. When pigs can fly, when the Messiah comes, and that's when Jesus says the best word of all. I am he, the one speaking to you. Actually, in the Greek text, Jesus literally says, I am the one speaking to you. He claims the holy name of God that was revealed to Moses. I am. And he tells the woman, I am. I am the word become flesh, full of grace and truth. Jesus not only spoke words of tenderness and love, Jesus was the word made flesh, God speaking for himself. And the woman is so transformed by her encounter with the living word that she becomes the first preacher in John's gospel after John the Baptist. She goes and she testifies to her fellow Samaritans, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And because of her testimony, many Samaritans believed in Jesus. Their minds were renewed and their lives transformed because of their encounter with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life.
this transformation still happens today. You know, and because God is the author of truth, truth will always have the last word. One month ago, we commemorated the 50th year since the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. One of my favorite songs by the group U2 sings about this event. Early morning, April 4, shot rings out in the Memphis sky. Free at last, they took your life. They could not take your pride. You know, King ended his famous I Have a Dream speech with the words, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. He knew the truth, and the truth had set him free even over death. The word became flesh and lives among us. Martin Luther King, uh, the Samaritan woman, they experienced what it's like to meet Jesus. It can still happen today. We too can meet Jesus, the living word, become transformed by him, and leave this place with a word to live and a word to speak. We can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. By the grace of God, may it be so. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for the transforming power of your word, for the truth that sets us free. May our minds be renewed so that we more closely resemble yours until today we behold the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.